Amen. Let's look up together. If you have your Bible with you, you might like to turn with me to the letter to the Ephesians. And Ephesians um, chapter 3. We're going to look for a few moments at this chapter together. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 14. And uh, just going to share for a little while and then maybe pray together as we come to a close in a moment or two. I'm taking a series called God's New Society. And how in the letter to the Ephesians, um, Paul speaks about a new life, a new way of life, a new people, a new hope, uh, new individuals, how in Christ we can become one, a new person in Christ. We've looked at this in continual detail, how in Christ we're new people. And when those new people come together in the church, the church and in Christ are key words in the letter to the Ephesians, there is a new way of life, a new hope A new day, a new dawn, new people, new lifestyle, new marriage, new home, new work life. There is God's way of life. And hence, we're looking at the letter to the Ephesians, God's new society. And uh, so chapter 3 and verse 14 reads like this. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches... He may strengthen you with power through the Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and how long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love, and these are the key words, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. To know this love. God wants us to know his love and to be filled to all the measure of all the fullness of God. So my theme this morning is uh, Paul's passionate prayer. If we have the next slide, please, that would be great. Paul's passionate prayer for fullness. If you're going to write a note, um, well, there'll be one or two sort of headings this morning, but no main notes, no Bible references. You need to bring your Bible with you and follow your reference. But there'll be one or two references that may appear on the screen just to help you uh, sort of bring your thoughts together. So not only do you hear that, you'll be able to see. But um, so the, the, the theme this morning is passionate prayer for fullness. Paul shares in these few verses that we're going to look at right now a prayer that he passionately prays for the fullness that believers might really know the love of God in our hearts and lives. And that's verses 14 to 20. You know, in the last um, few months, we've been uh, looking at this letter to the Ephesians, and we found that it's, there are six chapters. Just going to really briefly, very quickly, just give you a bit of a recap, so in about two minutes. There are six, chap- six chapters to the letter to the Ephesians, and I said that chapters one to three deal with our position, the position that you have as a believer in Christ. I'm not going to go into it in detail now, but if you go online, go on our website, you can listen to all these messages totally for free. But this is really important. You need to know your position, who you are, who you are as a Christian, and where you're seated. And Paul shares in the first three chapters, position. And the key word there is in Christ, in Christ. And then chapters four to six deal with our practice, how we live out that position in life, husbands and wives, relationship with children, work, life. 
how we live our lives, Christian conduct, and how we practice, how we live. It's practical. God, when he comes to live within us, it's lived out within our lives. But we need to know who we are and where we're seated and who we are before we can live. You know, we live out who we are. I've met people that are really, really talented, and yet they'll think they're no good. And you know what? They live a life thinking and acting as if they're no good. And yet I observe, in actual fact, they're really talented. Someone can look in a mirror and say, I look awful. And you can look at them and you think, oh, you look lovely, actually. It's our position, who we think we are and who we are and who we really are that begins to determine our life. So Paul spends three initial chapters looking at who you and I are in Christ. And it's an amazing picture. We are amazing people in Christ, seated in the heavenly realms, having all the riches of heaven at our disposal, loved by God, beloved, and entering into his family, names in the book of life. And he talks about this at great length. And out of that amazing place of being a new creation in Christ, we then can live a new life in Christ. And that's our practice. So we need to really know that. So have a look at that. If you haven't heard already, I've spent a long time looking at this. So this morning... And so it's so important there. Our position gives us perspective, gives us an outlook. So I've met people that think they're no good. As soon as they begin to realize, they maybe go and see a counselor. They maybe just begin to talk to somebody else and, and realize, actual fact, hey, I'm not so bad at this after all. They begin to live a different life. It's as if a weight of the world's come off their shoulders. Your position, knowing your position, can give you a new perspective on life, an outlook. We discovered this a few weeks ago when we looked at the Apostle Paul, who from prison, the beginning of chapter 3, he was in prison, if you remember, chained to a Roman soldier. And yet he said, even though I'm in prison, I'm seated in heaven. And he was able to pray and talk to believers about going for God, how great God is. I called it a prison perspective, if you remember. It's a few weeks back. His perspective, being chained to a Roman soldier, but knowing that he was in Christ, seated in the heavenly realms, having all the resources of heaven at his disposal, changed his outlook on life. And he was able to say that I am rich in Christ, even though he was chained to a Roman soldier. His might be chained in a room under house arrest, but his heart was free in heaven. And he was able to see what God wanted him to do. Perspective is everything in life. We don't hide our heads in the sand. We face reality. Paul looked at his suffering. He was chained to a Roman soldier. And we spent a long time, if you remember, a prison perspective, looking at how we deal with suffering. How when we suffer, how when things go wrong, how when things aren't good in life, even if we know that we're in God and God is for us and greater is he that is in us, it can change our whole perspective on life. Remember the, the, the uh, Christian man called Terry Waite? He spent many years in Lebanon being chained under house arrest. And yet his faith sustained him. His, perspe- his outlook on life, he didn't go mental. He didn't crack up. Talk about having post-traumatic stress after such a terrible ordeal. And yet he said it was his Christian faith, knowing that God, his Bible, reading, it, perspective in life. So um, position and perspective help us in practice. And we, we looked at that. So um, a man called D.L. Moody was asked, a great evangelist D.L. Moody was asked. Uh, he was an amazing man of God. He saw thousands of people at the turn of the century become Christians when he spoke. 
He would preach and it, it, he saw great revival. Thousands and thousands of people. He, he spoke very well, but there was something more than just speaking well. He had the hand of God on his life in the most remarkable way. But one of his um, particular things about him was that he would always pray to be full of the Spirit. His continual prayer was, I want to be full of God. My heart to be full of God. As Tim was leading us, the team were leading us this morning in our hearts open, you know, that that. That prayer that Tim was singing, our hearts are open, be lifted high in our hearts. And Dale Moody prayed all the time that his heart would be full of the Spirit, full of the Spirit of God, full of the Spirit of God. One day, a young man asked him, um, um, Reverend Moody, Pastor, Pastor Moody, Mr. Moody, why do you always um, ask to be filled with the Spirit? You may have heard me say this. I've quoted this a number of times. And he said, young man, I'm always asking to be filled with the Spirit because every day I leak a little. I leak a little. I leak a little. And here we have Paul praying passionately for believers to be filled to all the fullness of God. And he's talking about the context of God's love for your life and my life. And Paul prays passionately the same prayer that Dale Moody prayed. Be full of God's love. Be full of God's love. So passionate. And that prayer that he prayed nearly 2,000 years ago is the same for you and I today, to pray today. And we can learn something from that prayer, and that's what we're going to look at this morning, a passion for fullness, to be full of love, to know Christ's love. And Paul's passionate prayer is the same today and can be applied to you and I today. And that's where we're going to go um, with this today. So if we go to the next slide, that would be great. Thank you. You know, there's a prayer path. There's a, a prayer path to ongoing fullness There's three steps to the prayer path of fullness. They're not three quick keys. I'm not saying it's as quick as that. But there's an ongoing path. You know, as Christians, we are called, and this is where we're going to go, and we're going to look at these three things over the next few moments. Um, You know, we're called as Christians to follow Jesus Christ. Jesus said, come and follow me. The early believers were called people of the way. They were followers. And so as we follow Jesus Christ, it's like a path. We walk a path. We follow him. And um, there's uh, to being ongoing, growing in Jesus. There's an ongoing fullness. It's not as if we make it and we become full. I'm full of Jesus. I've made it. I'm a Christian. That's it now. It's not quite like that. My name's written in the book of life. But we leak a little. The bashes of life. We bump into each other. Circumstance bumps into you. I don't know about you, but when I go bump, I go, ouch, sometimes. Is that a similar experience for you? And when I go, ouch, sometimes, I leak a little. It's as if, you know, sometimes something in my heart goes, ouch. And so there's this continual walk in following Jesus Christ, whereby we know and continue in his love and his presence and his hope. And this is what Paul prays. He prays passionately for believers to continue to follow, go for God, and be full of all of his love. It's full of all the fullness of God, if ever you could, but to be as full as you can. And so there's a number of things. And the first thing is to allow Christ to rest in us. Secondly, we need to be rooted in him. And then if we allow Christ to rest in us, and secondly, we're rooted in him, we will realize, we will experience, in other words, his love in our lives. Those three things. So, if we go on to the next slide, that'll be great. So, the first thing then is allow Christ to rest in us. You notice there in verses 16 to 17, and this is what we want to look at just for a few moments. 
In verses 16 to 17, um, Paul says um, to be strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Verse 16 there, we see um, Paul say, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he, that's God, Jesus Christ, the Father, may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. The word strengthen there means to be given ability. Or another word, power. It might say give you power. Strengthen, power, means to be given ability. Ability in your inner being. You know, the early believers relied totally on the person of the Holy Spirit. You notice they've been strengthened in the person of the Holy Spirit there. Do you notice those words? It says, be strengthened with, with power through his spirit in your inner being. Right in your heart, right in the very depth of your spirit, in your inner man. Jesus said, come and if you're thirsty, you'll know rivers of living water will burst forth from your inner being, your heart, your spirit, your very depth of your being. You'll know that you know that God is good. And uh, the early believers, the early church understood this understanding of being totally open to the person of the Holy Spirit. You know, we are a Pentecostal church. We're a charismatic church. That's not, we're not Pentecostal. It doesn't mean that we're just happy and we sing nice contemporary songs that are alive. But it literally means that we have an emphasis. The Pentecostal churches at the turn of the century rediscovered an emphasis of the person of the Holy Spirit. And so we're a people who have rediscovered the person of the Holy Spirit. Although that's what it should mean. That we discover the person of the Holy Spirit afresh. You know, in the history of the church, the church has grown hot and cold. And there's been times when we've known the Spirit. And times when the Holy Spirit's been a bit on the back burner. And, then, and, the, and uh, the Holy Spirit, at the turn of the century, the Pentecostal movement, which we're part of as a church, uh, rediscovered the person of the Holy Spirit. And the power and strength and vitality and the gifts that follow. And the power of his love uh, released in our hearts and in our lives. So we're a Pentecostal church. You know, we're a church that is of the word and the spirit. We are both word and spirit. We believe in the written word. You know, we'd be systematic in our understanding of the written word, but we're also a church of the living word by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. You know, I had a word some years ago for our church when I first came, maybe four or five years ago, that in the things of the spirit and the word, it become mainstream. Not just the Holy Spirit, just for a few people at the side. A few of the funny ones. The ones that feel it and get hit by the Spirit. It's, but the Holy Spirit's for us all. The person of the Spirit is for us absolutely all of us. Without the person of the Spirit, we're doomed, Captain Mannering. Without the person of the Spirit, we need... And so I, I felt that God say, and for us as a church, you know, it's mainstream, the Holy Spirit... The Word and the Spirit. It's interesting, you know, Eden Conference, people like Keith Warrington, Colin Dye, all these guys speaking about Word and Spirit coming together. Been on about it for yonks. And, but it, it's true, isn't it? The Holy Spirit, the Word of God, all coming together and being released. You know, Jesus doesn't leave us as orphans in John chapter 14. Make a note of this. Write down John 14 and go and read it sometime for yourself. But in John chapter 14, Jesus says, you know, I'll be going away, but I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send the person of the Spirit to be with you, the comforter, the helper. He will bring me to you and you to me. It's amazing. It's absolutely spectacular. So Jesus knew the person of the Spirit, worked with the person of the Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. 
And uh, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So the person of the Spirit. So we need to be open. You know, don't close your heart. Don't close your mind. Uh, I think over the years and in Christian uh, life and church, sometimes the Holy Spirit's been hijacked. Sometimes, not all the time. By sometimes the extreme and fringe. Sometimes. I'm talking about church history at times. And so for some people, it puts you off. It's, I don't react like that, or I don't experience that, or I don't know if I can agree with that. But look, just get past that for a minute. Jesus said in John 14, I send you the person of the Spirit to be with you. Without the person of the Spirit, we need. And so Paul prays here that you might be strengthened, have ability through the Holy Spirit. So that what? Come with me a bit further on. In verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. We need to be people open, flowing in the Spirit of God, mainstream, hearts wide open. Whatever you want, Lord, this is me. Come Holy Spirit, okay? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. The word dwell there literally means settle down and be at home. If you have an amplified version of the Bible, it will translate it like that. It's very good, very interesting. To dwell. Jesus wants to settle down and be at home in your heart and life. Hello, is there any room? He says this, I want to dwell in you. And the word literally means settle down and be at home. To be with us. I think that's pretty amazing. The Lord Jesus, you know, we we see, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will open their heart, you know, I will come and be in with him and he with me. And we will, this is a bit of my version. And uh, we'll have a banquet together. It's in the book of Revelation. But Jesus wants to just be with us, settle down and be at home. That means is, is there any room in me and you? Our lives today are so full of so much. So much tradition. And much tradition is good. Christian tradition is good. But some of it's not right. Is there room? (laughs) Is there room? Settle down and to be at home. He wants to rest, to reside in me. And so that means I need to make room for him, make a place. What's your life and my life full of today? What's your life and my life full of today? Your heart, your mind, what takes up your time? Where is your heart? That's what the question is today. Can Jesus find the space or is there lots of packing boxes if you've only just moved home, you've probably got packing boxes around the place. And, uh, but oh, is there lots of stuff? Is, is there just, is all the rooms so crammed full that Jesus has to sort of say, hang on, I'll come back a bit later, there's not much space. He wants to settle down. It's amazing. It's wonderful. As we open up to the person of the Spirit, all of us, all of us, all of us, Jesus wants to settle and make home. I mean, the word settle means to stay with us. Not just sit back and do nothing, but he wants to stay with us. Abide, make home with us. I think that's amazing. That is absolutely spectacular. The degree which he's made at home will be the degree in which you will feel the presence and his love. I want to say this to you. The degree in which you and I allow and make Jesus home in our lives will be the degree in which you will feel the love of God. There will be circumstance that will counteract that, and I explained that the um, upsets, the, the, the pushes of life. That's why we need to be open to the Holy Spirit. We have ability, strength, to let Christ dwell in our hearts. So he wants to, um, first of all, rest in us. Um, if we allow him make room to rest in us, secondly then, 
um, he will become rooted in our hearts. I had to check where I was for a minute. I didn't know where, for a moment, I just didn't know where I was. If we allow Christ to rest in us, reside in us, be at home in us, then something amazing begins to happen. He becomes rooted. It says in verse 17, the second part of verse 17, look at this. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love. If we allow Jesus to rest, settle down, make home, in other words, make room for him, an amazing thing happens for me as a Christian. He becomes rooted. We get rooted. Now, that's an interesting word there, rooted. That's an amazing word. It means to be grounded, anchored, embedded. Two things that roots do. Well, they do lots of things, but two things that I just want to pick up on, and you'll see them there on screen. Roots fasten, fasten and feed. They anchor. The roots of a plant stop a plant being blown over or blown backward and forward. It keeps it in place. Roots anchor our hearts, anchor lives. You know, the storms of life will come. Lovely couple, Roger and Hazel Simpson, in the Caribbean, moved to the Caribbean now. But Hazel shared with us as a church how uh, the last year had been the most traumatic year of their lives. And unless the roots had gone down deep, they wouldn't have been standing on that day. And they wept. And many in our church wept with them as we prayed for them to send them on their way as they were looking to set up new home out in the Caribbean. And Hazel said, if my, if our, this has been a year of our roots going down deep. We've sometimes not felt God, but we've gone deeper into him. That's remarkable. Rooted. We need deep roots, folks. Because I'm telling you now, there's a wave coming. There's a wave coming against the church. I don't say this is doom and gloom. I'm excited. We live in a world today where the church is coming alive. The church is coming alive. But God's calling us to be rooted in him. You know, as our, as our, you know, um, our government are looking to make a law that is not necessarily a biblical law on marriage. And David Cameron, it wasn't in his manifesto. And it's got to go through the House of Lords and there's lots of things. But there will be things that can come almost overnight. You know, three years ago, we wouldn't be thinking that we'd be having a law on marriage that's going about to, to come and could be passed in the next months. And it wasn't even on the horizon only a few years ago. There's waves coming that will come against the word of God that we need to be rooted in God. Really know, really know, really know. And the, the roots go deep, will be fastened so when the, the storms come. But also roots not only fasten, anchor us, keep us in place, but they feed us, feed We get our nutrients from our roots. And if we're rooted in Christ, we'll be secure but strong. And so if you allow him to make home, give him space, something amazing happens. You become a Christian that starts to get rooted. I would say be rooted. Be rooted in Jesus. You can be rooted in your church. That's great. You can be rooted with your friends. That's good. But be rooted in the word of God and Jesus Christ. That's the best. That is the ultimate and the best. And the soil there is the love of Christ. It's the love. It says there in verse 16, 17, I pray that in his glorious riches you may be strengthened with power through the Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that being rooted and established in love. And the soil for the roots is the love of Jesus Christ. God loves you so much. And that's our soil. So he wants us to experience, as Jesus is allowed to rest, if we give him space and room, we become rooted, fastened, sustained and nourished by what? Love. God's amazing, incredible experience of love. And that's the soil. 
So, if we're rooted then, next one, thank you. If we're rooted, we will, um, we will, if we let him rest, make space, the roots begin to go down, we become secure, nourished, something begins to happen. This pathway, this is a step, this is a process, this takes a certain amount of time, something amazing begins to happen. You will begin to realize God's love in your heart. You'll experience it. You'll begin to experience love, God's love. You might think you know God. You probably do know God, but to experience and be bowled over by his amazing love. There's something quite remarkable about the love of God. Verse 18 says you, that you may have power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And verse 19, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to all the measure of the fullness of God. That you may have power to grasp That word grasp means literally apprehend, to apprehend. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Uh, Lay hold of it and make it your own. A number of words in the English language, you can comprehend and you can apprehend. A particular word, the word grasp there means apprehend. To comprehend something is to understand it. To apprehend it is to understand and make it your own in your experience. And the word used here is to have power to grasp, apprehend, make it your own, experience it. So what Paul is saying is that you will have power to experience, make it your own, the love of God in your life. You'll be bowled over. Not only will you just comprehend it, oh, I know God loves me. And then you go away, and then from here something goes wrong in your life, and you think, where's God? But when you apprehend, you know that God loves you, but you have This, I know that I know in the depth of my heart that God is here. That's to apprehend it because God's got you and you've got God. It's become personal. And the word here takes further than just knowing and understanding, but it's to experience in the depth of a being. It's to have a grasp. So if somebody says, um, I have a good grasp of the subject, if they're revising for an exam, um, you can know about a subject or you can have a good grasp of the subject. You can comprehend the subject. You can apprehend it. To have a good grasp of the subject is to hold on to it mentally and emotionally. You just absolutely know it. You are deeply convinced. When you meet people, when they've lost someone, a believer, and they sit and say, I'm feeling the pain of losing the person that I dearly love, but I know that God is here and loves me. They've apprehended the love of Christ. There's something different about that. And you, you and I can know that in the depth of our hearts. And that comes in the process. He goes on to say there that you may know this love that surpasses knowledge. The word to know, we're coming to conclusion. The word to know there is knowledge gained by experience. It's experiential knowledge. The word there literally means you, that you can exp- a knowledge of experience, not just knowing in your head, but feeling in your heart and it coming out in all your relationships, emotionally and experientially. And then Paul says something quite remarkable. He says that you may grasp, apprehend, know, and then he says this, the surpassing knowledge of the love of Christ. The word surpassing means to exceed, transcend. You can't know it. It's almost too much to even conceive. You know, God's love is, as we've been singing this morning, we've sung some great songs about the love of God. God's love is like an ocean. It's as vast as the ocean. 
Um, if you, uh, you can dip into it, you can experience part of the deep. You know, um, if you go for a swim in the Pacific, and I say the Pacific because it's warmer than the Atlantic, and I'd rather sing, swim somewhere warmer than somewhere that's colder, but if you imagine yourself bobbling in this Pacific Ocean, you're out in the middle of the ocean, you've been transported and dropped. I know it's a horrifying experience right now, but you've been dropped into the middle of the Pacific Ocean, thousands of miles away from land, with probably... Tens of miles beneath you, because the Pacific goes down really deep, and many, many miles above you to the heavens, and, and thousands of miles to the next piece of land. And you as a little old human being are bobbling in the Pacific Ocean, uh, in the, the heat, the warmth of that. It might be a frightening experience, but it's, it's a bit like that with us in the love of God. The love of God is vast, And we may experience an aspect of his immeasurable, immense, incredible, I haven't got the words to describe, awesome, deep expanse. It's a deep, vast expanse, so deep that some of it yet hasn't even been discovered. You know, the Pacific Ocean, there's parts of the ocean that's not been charted yet. We know everything we think is mankind, but we don't. But you know what? God is bigger than the ocean. His love is vaster. And this is why Paul then is amazed. He says, I want you to know this love. It sustains. It can change life. It will mean everything to you. You will be a different person. This is the love that brings out a new humanity, a new life, a new world, a new order, a new day. He said, it's this love that will change you, sustain you, keep you, help you, give you hope. And then he says, but it's vast. And he says that that you may have a measure of that fullness, that you may be filled with something of that in your heart and in your life. I think in the Western church, we've settled for something that is far less than what God wants us. This is a prayer that says, don't settle. This is a prayer that doesn't chide the church or beat the church, but encourages us not to settle for something less than what God wants for you and I. He wants us to know the full measure and a surpassing measure of incredible mercy and love that can change, sustain, and give the very depth of our being. So God's love is bigger and vast. It's vast as the ocean. It's a deep expanse. Perhaps now it's time to swim. Perhaps for you and I, it's time to swim. That's a great prayer. Pray this prayer over your life that Christ may, by the power of the Holy Spirit, let's be open to the Spirit, may rest, reside, be at home. Have place, I make space, I give you the place, Lord, in my life. Be glorified, make your, have your place. If that's the case, we then become amazingly rooted, anchored, nourished by what? Love. Love, God's love, vast as an ocean, deep. But he wants to just pour in to you and to me. So this is why Paul says, I get down on my knees and pray. In, in Jewish understanding, if you see the people standing at the Wailing Wall, they'll stand, they'll pray like this, maybe the hands will be out like this. The general posture in prayer was something like I'm standing now. You might, oh, I know they, they tend to rock. I don't know why, but they do. But, um, uh, and hands will be outstretched. It's a general, general stance for prayer. But Paul says, I get down on my knees. The word there literally means, not only like I'm doing now, get on my knees, but he absolutely lies down on his face. He prostrates himself. That's the literal translation of what he's saying. He's so passionate, he's so desiring that this is the way to live life, that he prays prays a prayer that he wants the believers of the day to lay hold of, and for you and me, for us to lay hold of this too. It's the love of God. The love of God. The love 
of God. Through the power and person of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Bless you. Pray that prayer. Open our hearts. Let's go for God. Come to an end. Come to a close. Well, I want to pray right now that we be open, that you and I be open. We follow that path if his love. Heavenly Father, see our hearts and minds this morning. We open our lives to you. We don't want to settle for something that's far less than what you have for us, to be filled to the fullness, a measure of the fullness of the love of God. Wow, that's incredible. You just want to settle, reside, um, uh, be at home with us so that you can take us on and take us forward into great things. And uh, this morning, Lord, we pray that you would forgive me, you forgive us, maybe for settlings for something that is just far less than what you have for us. You've got something quite remarkable. Your love is vast as an ocean and you want to pour in. And so we say, we open our hearts to you, Holy Spirit, that you may bring Christ to our hearts in a fresh way. Uh, You you live within us, Lord, but there's a sense that whereby we just open ourselves because we leak a little. And we want to be that sense of being filled to an even greater measure, convinced to the core of our being. And I pray for your people this morning where anyone is worried or anxious, where life is shaking, people are worried about life and finance and home perhaps, that something of your amazing love will break in. Something of your amazing presence will just break into life. Where there is anything, whatever our life, if our lives are full of so much stuff, we just want to make space for you, Lord Jesus. In our church, we make space for you, Lord Jesus, so that you can come and have your way. Amen.